Hello, I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Katie Sewell. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. This week, one of our listeners wrote, well, actually, she wrote a couple weeks ago when I was asking what you wanted to hear on one of these bittersweet moments. Katie, reporting from Seattle, what did you want to know about Katie in Seattle? And one of our listeners, Eula, wrote in saying that she thought we'd done a good job on the show keeping her company and hopeful during this pandemic. And she was wondering what I do to keep going through this endurance test of spreading illness that we've all been living through since I don't have the bittersweet life to keep me company, which in a way I do actually have the bittersweet life to keep me company because this show is a big part of my working life. And listeners like Eula reach out to me and engage with me and keep me company too. So in a way I also benefit from having the show to work on and having you out there listening. But what do I do otherwise? Well, I read a lot. Right now, I'm reading The Overstory, which is a book that's very impressive in its scope and how much it makes you notice and experience trees. I definitely found that since reading this book, when I take a walk, I notice the trees far more than I did prior. And as the book opens, he introduces you to eight characters and the deep, rich history of how they came to be, often going back several generations which is extremely impressive, and he also manages to weave trees into every one of their stories. And yet, at the same time, he positions trees as our elders, that we people are short-term, and they potentially live for hundreds, if not thousands of years, while we little people get 100 at best. And so the trees are providing life to all manner of creatures, while we humans are often too short-sighted to see them as the epic creatures that they are. We often, we too often see them as a resource. It is a fiction book, it's beautifully written, but I will say that once all eight characters start meeting later in the book, I am finding the book less interesting. That said, I would say it's still worth a read, just for the opening scope of the book, and it's probably why it won the Pulitzer Prize. But one of the best books I've read this year was a nonfiction book by a historian named Charlotte Gordon. If I could, I would gush all over her. She wrote a book called Romantic Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Her Daughter Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley, of course, being the writer of the book Frankenstein. And this book absolutely brought this famous mother and daughter combination to life for me. And she did an amazing job exploring how their bold, rather unconventional thinking uh, that both of these women had, that they wanted to live a life on their own terms rather than by Victorian ideals, essentially. Also exploring the Romantic period and how they helped usher in alongside John Keats, Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, those guys. They helped ushered in the cultural climate that we're still living in today, which I don't know, I found very fascinating to think that we think of the Romantic era as being something in the past, but no, she's saying the effects of the Romantic era are very much the culture that we're living in today. 
I have no idea if other people would find this book as interesting if I as I did. If you have absolutely no interest in the romantics or Mary Shelley's book Frankenstein, but it's so well done, it's so well researched. I think there's a good possibility that anybody would find it interesting. I also, if you listen to this show for a long time, know that I got a little obsessed with the poet John Keats after my last visit to Rome. The last time I was in Rome, which was a couple of years ago now, I was supposed to be there just a few months ago. I was supposed to be there in April of this year to work on this show, but alas. Uh, but the last time I was there, I visited the Keats Shelley Museum and got rather obsessed with John Keats. And I ended up writing a really long essay comparing his death his long languishing death at a young age to the sudden death of my friend Susan, who we talked about on a show called Grief several years ago. And that's another thing I do, I write. So I don't, we've talked a lot about Tiffany's writing on this show, just a little bit about mine. I thought maybe as an example, since we're talking about it, I'm maybe I'll read you the opening of that Keats essay I was just mentioning, and you can see a little bit about what I mean. And uh, here, one of the things I was working on, part of what I was working on, uh, when I was down in San Francisco. This is just the opening of a essay that I wrote called Writ in Water. And yeah, we'll just read and see what you think. 150 years before I was born, the young romantic poet John Keats died in Rome, clutching the hand of his friend, artist Joseph Severn. Keats was 25 years old. His dreams of becoming a famous writer had turned to dreams of dying. The pain of tuberculosis, matched with the bloodletting and starvation of his medical care, had become so agonizing he would cry to find himself alive when he awoke. On the morning of February 23, 1821, he woke for the last time. Thank God it has come, he said. Today he is buried in Rome, in a relatively undeveloped part of the non-Catholic cemetery a field of grass, stray cats, and scattered trees. I stood there last month and read the famous epigraph, Here Lies One Whose Name Was Writ in Water. Before Keats died, Joseph Severn visited this site, returning to the sickbed with a detailed description of this place where Keats could choose to be buried. It is now surrounded by the rushing city, but in 1821, grass and wild flowers grew there, untended except for the munching of sheep and goats, to Keats, it sounded like the perfect place, and Severn reported that he already seemed to feel the flowers growing over him. It is an interesting mental exercise to think of birth and death as people passing in a hallway. Who, as you enter, heads out? Who are the people who pass as we are born? Even years, decades, centuries apart, whose death shares the important date of our birth? I was born February 23rd, in this way, in this game, Keats and I passed, just as I passed John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, and countless other people lost to history and memory. Maybe years of thinking this way set me up to feel a jolt when I first encountered the date of Keats's death by chance while wandering through the constrained rooms of the Keats Shelley Museum in Rome. It is because he died there, February 23rd, that the flat is preserved. Any curious visitor can look out his window and see the busy square at the base of the Spanish steps that was the last outdoor view the nature-loving Keats took in. Don't we all have these dates in our lives? Our February 23rds? 
numbers with loaded meanings, not just birthdays or anniversaries, but dates of anguish and sorrow, dates that can't be changed no matter how hard we wish it, the dates on the calendar that seem lit from behind. How many do you have already? And how many more will you gain as you move through life? There are dates that we hold as a nation, like 9-11 or December 7th, 1941. And there are dates we hold alone. And then there is the date that we don't yet know, the last date. For Keats, this was February 23rd, a meaningless number on the calendar until it wasn't. Severin, lift me up, he said. I am dying. I shall die easy. Don't be frightened. I wonder, for Joseph Severn, if February 23rd could never be just another day. For me, May 3rd is such a date, one that will never be meaningless again. It is the grim anniversary of a tragic afternoon. On May 3rd, 2017, after a day spent at Huntington Island State Park teaching volunteers about sea turtle conservation, my inventive and disarming friend, Susan Schaefer, got in her car to drive home. She didn't make it. Instead, her tiny white sedan was crushed by a careening metal trailer that tumbled from the truck that was pulling it. That morning, she was in the world she had chosen, teaching, preserving nature, and later paddleboarding. By the late afternoon, her life was over. I have yet to find a way to accept it. In part, this is because Susan had a unique way of slowing down life so that she could stop and observe the tiniest elements of the natural world. She also had an unforgettable voice. Her friend Margaret once described as molasses spiked with bourbon poured over coarse sea salt. With a voice like that, it's no wonder I first met her in a bar. We spent a year at the People's Pub in Ballard, working side by side, while pursuing our grander ambitions through school and internships. Susan was life to me, humor and wisdom together. So the rapid violence of the crash feels heartless, as haphazard and thoughtless as stepping on a spider. Here we take a thing of complex design and purpose and just smash it and move on. Those of us who loved her, who loved her body and her face and her presence in our lives can never see the day May 3rd again without thinking of all that we have lost. It goes on from there, <laughs> kind of back and forth between the centuries. But as we say on this show, we will leave it there for now. We're getting a little long in the tooth here, but I also cope with this long time by listening to podcasts. I think most people who make podcasts are a fan of podcasts. Um, I've been a radio fan since the dawn of time, it seems. Um, but I like podcasts. I like them a lot. And I'll give you a couple of examples. I like podcasts that talk about books, like, but that's another story with the amazing Will Schwalbe, who writes amazing books too. Uh, look him up. But that's another story. There's another one about books that I love called Marlon and Jake Read Dead People. I like shows where I get to listen in, in on people's therapy sessions, like Where Should We Begin and Other People's Problems. And I like funny shows. I think funny shows are the ones I really seek out the most. Right now, uh, like, for instance, Hey Riddle Riddle or Hello from the Magic Tavern, my dad wrote a porno, shows that are a little bit silly and ridiculous. I like those. And with those shows, I have gone back to the beginning and listened from the very beginning. And I like Seattle shows. I like local shows. 
I like listening to the show Seattle Now for my news. It's hosted by a friend of mine. I like the Savage Lovecast with the local sex advice columnist Dan Savage. And I like this very informal show, which I don't even know if they're still making it anymore, but it's a little bit ridiculous and lovely. It's just a local couple from Everett talking about their relationship called Should We Get Married? <laughs> I like that it's a little, I don't know, a little bit more off the cuff. <laughs> I guess is how I'd describe it. And quite honestly, that's just the beginning. So if you tend to like a certain kind of show and you need a recommendation, just send me an email, bittersweetlife at mail.com, and I can probably tell you something you would like. And yeah, I could go on and on about how I cope. I think coping is something that we're doing every single day, but we're getting a little long for this mini episode. But there is one thing I also want to say, is that sometimes I don't cope well. Sometimes I cry. Um, there are times when I can tell that I'm losing hope. Days when this feels endless and frustrating and scary and all those times <laughs> that we all know. And I try so hard to remember on those days that this too shall pass. Something a, a guest of ours, Dr. Jim Domain, said. This too shall pass. And in the meantime, I can do my part to stay safe. I can try as hard as I can to keep other people safe. And I can just accept that some of these days are going to go okay, and some of them just won't. And that's okay. I mean, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Kitty Sewell. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love it, leave us a good review. And please tell all your friends about us. Also, if you have an idea for a bittersweet moment, send it to us by email or voice memo. We're at bittersweetlifeatmail.com. Or you can just find us at the contact page at thebittersweetlife.net. Or on all the social medias, just search for The Bittersweet Life. Yes.